Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. What's up? This is your boy, Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Jonathan Strickland, and sitting across from me is my brand new co-host. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. I am the social media editor here at How Stuff Works, and I'm also your new co-host. That's awesome. Lauren's going to be giving us her perspective on technology, and we thought that for her first episode, we should really tackle something she's really interested in. But as it turns out, we already did an episode on Halo. Yeah, uh, fortunately, there is at least one other video game that I do play. I, I, I cannot admit to being a huge, crazy gamer, but but I do enjoy some things like, for example, Silent Hill. Yes. Now, Silent Hill, a famous example of a game that's in the survival horror genre. And I have to be perfectly honest here. I have only ever played one Silent Hill game, and I had to ask Lauren which one it was because I couldn't <laughs> remember. And she immediately identified it as Silent Hill 2. And, uh, which is which is a good one. It's it's one of the better ones. Really, I hear so. I hear the story is really good, but yeah. I never got into it far enough for the story to really unfold for me. Mm-hmm. Because frankly, because at the time the the gameplay was so different from everything else I was used to that uh, that I got frustrated because uh, my brain is primal and cannot grasp <laughs> things like that. So sure, it was still a little bit tank like at the time. Right, but but. 
first, I guess we need to talk about what survival horror is. Now, it's a term that really uh, was introduced by Capcom when they released the first Resident Evil game back in 1996. But it's not the first horror-based game. There's pl- there are plenty of examples of Certainly. horror games. But uh, it was the first. It was kind of like you know. You're always going to have that first time someone uses a term. Right. And as far as I can tell, uh, that was the first time people had actually used that to define a genre of games. And really, it's kind of a subgenre. It tends to fit underneath the action-adventure genres. Right. And uh, I, I always think of adventure games like things like uh, Monkey Island mm-hmm. or um, even older games like King's Quest or Space Quest, where you're it's, it's more about solving puzzles and working your way through a story mm-hmm. than it is about something like killing all the things. Right. So it's not a shooter. It's right. not. But it's also not purely a puzzle game. Yeah. And, and, and there's certain things that, that are, that tend to be in a survival horror game. For example, I mean, first of all, horror. Horror. Yeah. So there's usually some sort of supernatural, nasty, icky thing mm-hmm. that's, uh. Trying to eat your kneecaps. Yeah. Or multiple nasty, icky things trying to eat your kneecaps. Um, usually there's a sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. So you're playing a character that doesn't have a lot of contact with other people who can help him or her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're dealing with a, with a limited inventory. Oh, yes. That's a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, the whole idea of you have to conserve that ammunition or you have to conserve whatever items you have because there's a limited number. So once you use it, it's it's gone and right. you are really screwed. Uh, yeah. It's, it, that's it. The game... The game should essentially be over because it's so hard to get through it without the resources. So you can't just, you know, go in blasting. It's not a run and gun. No. It's not, you know. It's not like Borderlands 2 where <laughs> where ammo literally falls out of the sky at times. Um, not, no slight against Borderlands 2. Love that game. But it's a totally different style of game. And, uh, yeah, so it, the whole idea is to, to create this sense of horror. So, so Lauren, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, – you know how you got into this game. All right. Well, um, I, I was I was in college at the time, um, and cue aneurysm from Jonathan. Usually, whenever I start talking about how old I am, yeah, there's like, this like vein. What, like two years ago. In his oh, <laughs> it was it was about it was about when Silent Hill Two came out that I actually started playing Silent Hill One. Um, Silent Hill uh, One came out uh, in 1999. Yes. And so I was a few years behind the curve, but I had I had a couple of friends who would invite me over to their house and we would have these all-night marathons of playing Silent Hill and scaring ourselves absolutely silly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, we would turn all the lights out and, and, uh, and yeah, just, just... Just go. Just go. Yeah. Now, well, In, until all of us were too nerve-wracked to pick up the controller again. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but one of the things that struck me about the Silent Hill series is that they took a different take on survival horror than Resident Evil did. Well, Resident Evil was still very um for for not for not being a shooter, for not being a run and gun. There was a lot of running and a lot of gunning. Yeah. Um it was more action based. Um the story was not extremely rich. I mean, you know, it it, it was it was a story. But Yeah. And it used a lot more jump scares, that yes. kind of scares, whereas Silent Hill was the sort of creeping psychological terror. Very psychological, very Freudian, um, yeah. very odd. And uh, and a lot of the, the influences that the designers have talked about are, are people like um, uh, Stephen King's The Mist, um, the terrific movie Jacob's Ladder, directed by um, Adrian Lin. Uh, it's a documentary. <laughs> 
as we <laughs> right. say here on Tech Stuff. <laughs> terrific documentary about Tim Robbins in the 1970s. Um, that, and that you're already heavy terrified. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, David Lynch, um, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so things that are truly unsettling. I, right. That was the pro- the approach was to make a game that that puts you. Out of, it takes you out of your, your comfortable place. You know, it's not just that, oh, something jumped out at me. It's that something is wrong. Something is seriously creepingly wrong. And, and, and it's, it's more akin to sort of Japanese horror in that way. This exactly. idea of creating, uh, an, a, an environment and a situation that increases the level of tension without necessarily relying on jump scares is one of the reasons why I really enjoyed when Japanese horror movies started to make their way into right. American culture. With The Ring and uh, the Grudge. Juan. Yeah. yeah, Juan, Ringu. Yeah. Uh, now, the problem with that, of course, was that it went a little bonkers because that's the way Hollywood is, right? They, they find something that people identify with and then they throw everything at it. And then, that, <laughs> then you're just flooded with it. You get and, a little bit overexposed. Yeah. And, and, and we can get into that uh, a little bit later, too, because there are some criticisms about the survival horror genre that it can get a little formulaic, but that's that's a little early in our conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we are talking, I mean, Silent Hill at this point has put out nine games. Nine games? That is so many games. That's a lot I, of games for any game series. For, yeah. for any series. I mean, I, mean, I can't, I can't what, what else? Like Final Fantasy has okay, that many wait, games? Wait, wait. Street Fighter 3 alone has had like 73 <laughs> games. Just Street Fighter 3. Right? Okay, that is that is to so, be fair. But they don't have. Well, okay, I don't want to say that they don't have a plot line because somebody would send me a very angry email. They, <laughs> but the plot line is not what you play the game for in Street Fighter Three. No, that no. is extraordinarily true. So yeah, there is a, definitely a plot. I mean, plot is everything. Story is everything in the Silent Hill games. I mean, yeah. really, in Silent Hill, there, it's all about a tale unfolding. Right, and there are there are a couple jump scares here and there, and they are sure. and they are delightful because they're so few and far between. Right, so they do genuinely scare you. Mm. I, I in in Resident Evil, the ninety eighth time that a jump zombie jumps out from around a corner, I'm like, Neh. yeah, you you've conditioned yourself to okay, well, all right, that here's happened. a corner. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, a door. Well, gosh, I wonder what, wonder which version of the zombie is going to jump at me when I open up this door. As opposed to sitting there with a bunch of your friends in a completely safe environment and, and looking at a digital door on a digital screen in Silent Hill and thinking, I don't want to open it. I, yeah. I need, I need to open it to progress in this game and that's, I don't want to. That's pretty phenomenal. And uh, one other little bit of trivia I, I wanted to touch upon was something that you mentioned to me that I found interesting. So one of the reasons Silent Hill was so scary was that you couldn't see a lot. It was right. a, it was a real-time rendering engine that was a 3D engine. And this was for the PlayStation. Right, for the original PlayStation. And it was uh, – and it could be very scary because you – out of even though you're having a real-time 3D engine, you couldn't see very far. And that's because they put in a lot of fog and darkness into the game to make up for the fact that the engine was not very powerful. Right. The 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 hardware the game was running on could not render the graphics needed to have an extensive view. Right. So by the limitations of the technology, it actually became a scarier game because yeah. you couldn't see. I mean, leaving a lot up to your imagination. Now, I could think of one documentary <laughs> that benefited from a similar failure of technology. We did a full episode about this on a, an old tech stuff episode. Uh, it, it, the technology was named Bruce and the documentary was called Jaws. But again, <laughs> it's one of those things where you take something that 
to to most people, you would immediately say, well, that's a limitation. That's right. a that's a drawback. And then you turn it into something that is a core element of the game, and it suddenly becomes an important part of how the game affects the player. Yeah, by the time that they had uh, better graphics engines with all of the rest of them, I mean, essentially starting with Silent Hill 2, uh, which which came out for the PS2, they had they had the capacity to to render a whole bunch. I mean, you know, not out into infinity like they do today, but sure. but you know, it's it's you could they could have let you see more than ten feet of your, in front of your face, and they said, nah, yeah, that's okay. And th- this is an element that we see added into games today that kind of sort of fit into the survival horror genre. Like, for example, I, I brought up the example of Left 4 Dead, which does not truly fit into survival horror. First of all, it's more of a first-person shooter than an action-adventure game. Mm-hmm. Second, it is a collaborative game. You can play with up to three other people, so mm-hmm. you're not, not as isolated you're not as really you would alone. be. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you, now as, a, as a small group, you're isolated because sure. there, there are very few other people that you encounter in and that game. And it's still horrific. Right. And there are levels, specifically in Left 4 Dead 2, there's a level where you are making your way through uh, a sugar uh, sugarcane field, or, or, or actually it might be a cornfield, I can't remember. I do remember it's like tall stalks, and there's a hurricane moving through. Ew. So your view is completely obscured by rain and vegetation, and you can't tell when something in front of you is a zombie or just another stalk of a, a, a vegetation. Plant. Yeah, And it's terrifying it's also it's also evil that they put in an achievement i'm talking to you guys out there you developers evil to put in an achievement where one of the achievements is to make it through that level without alerting a witch when you can't see the witch you can't see them because everything's in your fate god i'm never gonna get that achievement oh that was a tangent that that was a tangent um I have no idea what we were talking about. Oh, what were um, we talking about? Silent Hill. We were. <laughs> this was games. I oh god. You might I think have I think I think I've heard of that one. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of: employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. 
Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the company that brought us Silent Hill, which is Konami. Right. And uh, Konami, uh, it started out. Way back in 1969, Japanese company. Uh, originally, Konami was a company that specialized in jukebox rental and repair. Huh. Really? Yeah. So uh, it was based in Osaka, and that was the main purpose of the business. But by 1973 or so, they started looking at the possibility of developing games. Mm-hmm. And by 1978, they started getting into the video game market for microcomputers. Okay. Now, sort of a predecessor to PCs. Sure. Uh, by 1979, they started to export games to the United States, and uh, they started making arcade games as well. Uh, and then we're going to jump ahead. In 1990, they started developing games for a system, uh, a computer system called Amiga. That's a shout out to Chris, you know, who loves his Amiga. Uh, 1992, they began making games for something called the Genesis. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, 93, their headquarters moved to Tokyo. By 94, they start making video games for the PlayStation. Uh, 95, they started making games for a system uh, that did not do so well, the 3DO. Ah, yeah. But they also made games for other systems as well. I I gave kind of like a a compressed timeline and just a few general things just to give you an idea of what they were into. Uh, Their corporate structure is absolutely confusing. (laughs) <laughs> because it's a big company with lots of divisions, some of which are their own company. So they've uh-huh. spun off operations into their own company. Almost all of them have Konami in the name. Right. So you've got uh, you've got Konami Industry Company Limited. Uh, you've got Konami of America Incorporated, which eventually became Konami Digital Entertainment Incorporated. Uh, you've got uh, Konami Limited. Not Konami, Konami Industry Company Limited, but Konami Limited. Completely which is, separate, in obviously. The UK. Okay. Uh, you got Konami GmbH. I'm sure there's a actual word for that. It's in German. It's in German. So, uh, uh, ich spreche nicht Deutsch. Um, we've got, but now that's Konami Digital Entertainment GmbH. Uh, you've got Konami Kosan Company Limited, which is now Konami Real Estate Limited. So real estate. You know? They've also got financing, Konami Technology Development Center. So what you're saying is they're big. They're big. They are not just a game company. They've got a lot of other things going on. So it's it's a huge, complicated company, and it's got a lot of different divisions, some of which have 
you know, blossomed and then later folded over uh-huh. the years because the video game industry in particular has had some rough cycles, right? Occasionally, here and yeah. there. There have been some times where the, the arcade industry, for example, has really suffered. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's just there's not a whole lot of money in developing arcade games anymore. Although Konami did create one of the most popular arcade games of all time, I am talking, of course, of Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> actually, actually, that ties into one of my random notes about Silent Hill, because um, one of the best parts I think about Silent Hill, and this is going back to our conversation about the atmosphere of the games, uh-huh. is the music. Um, the uh, sound designer and composer for most of the series uh, has been um, a gentleman named Akira Yamaoka. Mm-hmm. And he does just really gorgeous, melodic, creepy work for it. Um, and one of those tracks was featured on a version of DDR. Now, Lauren, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was kind of the emotional impact. And you were sort of alluding to that with the, the music and creating this creepy vibe and, and also the graphics creating the creepy vibe. But you said that there were some other things you wanted to chat about as far as the feel of the games. And uh, it seemed to me like you had a lot to say about these games. And because, again... I've only played one and only just the beginning of it. Uh, I, I really don't have that experience, but I'm really curious to hear your input and why you picked this as the topic. Yeah, okay. Well, so let me let me fill you in a little bit on what Silent Hill is about. For for all of you who have never played any Silent Hill games, um, OMG spoiler alert. Um, for those of you who have, you're going to be very bored for about three minutes. So we're, it's something for everyone is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> we've got negative points for everybody here at Tech Stuff. That's pretty much how we roll. <laughs> Perfect. You're fitting in well so far. <laughs> but, um, no, the, the, the Silent Hill series is, is set in a town called Silent Hill and, and, and a small American town, um, that looks strangely like a small Japanese town most of the time. Um, and it's, uh, in the first game, you are your player character is a man named Harry Mason, who is searching for his daughter, who he has lost. Adopted daughter. His his adopted daughter. Yes, this this comes in. This is extremely po- important later on. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I think um, her name is like Cheryl or something like that. Her name is Cheryl. Okay, good. Yes. That that, that by the way, literally the extent of my knowledge <laughs> of Silent Hill. <laughs> Excellent. It's all me from here on out, and um. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm I'm literally leaning back from the microphone, which Lauren is laughing about because I never do because that. he has literally never done that. I think in the entire history of podcasting, That's pretty much true. <laughs> I'm like, usually I have to fight to get a word in ed- edgewise. Um, That's okay. I'll still make jokes. <laughs> no, so so you're, you're you're playing you're playing this father named Harry Mason who is uh, desperately searching for his daughter who is lost in this terrifying, creepy town that just seems wrong. Um, uh, It's filled with fog. It seems to be abandoned um, other than one or two people, some skinless dogs and uh, uh, undead babies, you know, the usual. Um, And... And so he, and he is, he is perhaps understandably upset, but I, when I was first playing the games, I was first of all struck by the fact that it was a father looking for his daughter. Mm-hmm. I thought in comparison, especially to American storytelling, it was really kind of revolutionary to watch a, a father being upset about the loss of his child. Right. I thought that if it had been done in America, it probably would have been a mother instead. And in fact, when the Silent Hill movie came out in whenever it came out, right. uh, it was, they did change it to a mother and, 
I, you know, I, and, and not that, you know, not, not that women have no place in the media, certainly, right. but I just thought that it was a more interesting choice to have it be a father. Right. And as I recall, you said you liked the first 35 minutes of that movie and then you didn't like it I so get, much. I get very angry at that movie, but that's, that is an entire, that actually fits in more with our, more with some of the discussion later because, sure, um, sure. because, because I have to admit that I've only played the first three and a half Silent Hill games. Um, uh, or, or I, I, I've probably played about four total. But, right. but, the, but the first three to completion. Gotcha. And then um, Silent Hill 4, The Room, and Silent Hill Homecoming are the only two titles that I've picked up. And I didn't enjoy those nearly as much. Um, but but we, can, we can get into all of that later. So, um, sure. So, so the story follows Harry Mason. It turns out, uh, like you do, that his daughter, Cheryl, is the uh, soul-divided reincarnation of a little girl whose mother used her to raise a demon. That... I almost follow that. No, no. Okay, okay. All right. So, so she was the focal point for a truly evil summoning. A truly ritual. evil summoning. Well, to be fair, the, the the purpose of the summoning was supposed to bring um, uh, peace, peace and goodwill. Oh, okay. Right. Because another thing we should point out is that Asian mythology and the idea of demons and ghosts can differ quite a bit from the Western versions of these things as well. Absolutely. So. And actually, strangely, some of the mythology in these games um, seems to have been based on um, uh, Jewish Kabbalah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, but but with also those those pop culture references to Stephen King and other stuff. I mean, and and some of those references are are very clear throughout the games. You've got you've street names. Streets are named after uh, Richard Matheson and uh, Richard Bachman, which is Stephen King's early yes. pen name. Yes, his his, his uh, alter ego, the one who wrote uh, uh, things like Thinner. <laughs> Yes. Um, uh, there's there's a reference to the Midwich Cuckoos, which, of course, became Village of the Damned in film, uh, Ray Bradbury, stuff like that. Um, so so there's, there's there's a lot of great history inserted into those games. And, you know, that's that's the that's the nutshell um, of of the first game. I don't want to get too detailed about it, because then I'm just going to be explaining how he runs through various different creepy scenarios right. and that they're creepy. Well, to me, what's also interesting, like you were saying, it's a father searching for a daughter. And we've seen other games since then kind of tap into that same thing. I'm thinking of like the Dead Rising 2 game mm-hmm. has a very has a very similar, which again, not so much a, a survival horror. It, it is in the sense that some of the themes are very similar. But again, he it's a fa- father who's trying to protect his daughter uh, by getting her medicine to keep her from transforming into a zombie. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert if you've never played Dead Rising 2, <laughs> but that game is old, so come on. Um, but I mean, I, but that, that happens at the very beginning of the game. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not like a spoiler at the end or anything. That's at the very beginning. It's, Good. it's established that you, your purpose is to get, keep getting medicine until you guys get rescued. Uh, so that way it keeps your daughter alive. Uh, uh also the recent Walking Dead episodic games have a, a character who acts at like a father figure right. to a little girl. He's not the girl's father. He's actually uh escaped con is probably the wrong term. He was a he was a man being escorted to prison when the zombies happened. Uh-huh. And then a car crash later, he's no longer in the cop car and he's trying to survive. So it's not like he's an escape con, but he ends up being the protector of this girl and the storyline unfolds with him really taking on that role. So it's interesting to me because it seems to me like this first Silent Hill game kind of created that that model 
and other games have sort of followed saying this is an interesting dynamic and it's one worth exploring and it's rich for its storytelling potential. Sure. Um, and also I think it's a little bit less insulting to have, if, if you're going to have to go rescue someone in a game, I think it's a little bit less insulting for it to be a child. As opposed to a full-grown woman? Yes. Like in Resident Evil 4? <laughs> Yes. One of the most useless characters to follow you around. And, oh. You you never you never have someone intelligent or useful following you around. Well, no, in video it's, games it's, that's usually the other the, than like the arbiter, but that's <laughs> but that's a separate issue. It's usually the fault of the AI. Yes, it's exactly. not necessarily the fault of the character. Of the character. But it, but in <laughs> Resident Evil Four, it's both. <laughs> Turns out, spoiler alert for that too. I once played. Re- no, I'm sorry. It was Resident Evil Five. I got to play on the side of the Hard Rock Casino in CES. Ooh, it's interesting to play survival horror when it's projected seventy seven stories high. Huh? Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, it was awesome. <laughs> it was a little chilly, but it was awesome. <laughs> it was a Capcom thing at CES, and I yeah. had a great time. And I'm not going to brook any discussion on the matter. Good, good for you. But no, it, it, the Silent Hill really started to set some interesting trends in that. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. 
Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. The, the survival horror games that came before it were not as necessarily as deeply story-driven as Silent Hill was. Mm-hmm. And or so, as atmospheric. Right, or, or as atmospheric. That's another good point. And in fact, uh, before we really get into the, the deep level of, uh, you know, discussion, kind of where you're deconstructing things. Sure. And, and getting angry. Cause I can't <laughs> wait to see Lauren angry. Cause I'm usually the angry one on this show. And guess what, guys? I'm not always gonna be the angry one now. Isn't it awesome? Someone else is going to be angry, too. Yay. Sometimes I'm going to be the one hiding. Super party, angry yeah. dance time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, here, here's some other games that came out in 1999, just to kind of give you a comparison uh, with this, this uh, sort what? of revolutionary story. Uh-huh. So in 99, that was also when we got things like Asheron's Call, which was an online role-playing game, one of the uh-huh. early ones. Uh, Baldur's Gate, Tales of the Sword Coast, came oh. out that year. Okay. Uh, Cabela's Big Game Hunter 3? Cricket? Cricket? Uh, the Cabela's series has kind of an interesting reputation online if you're not familiar with it. Castlevania for Nintendo 64 came out that year. Uh, Crazy Taxi. Hey. I have that for my Dreamcast. I still have a Dreamcast. Uh, Dead or Alive 2. Classy, classy game. Oh, yeah. Donkey Kong 64. Uh, Grand Theft Auto 2, that was back when it was a top-down game. Right. Uh-huh. It was not a first-person view. Or third-person third view. I think of first-person because it's when you're in the car. But yeah, third-person, and you don't. You can also do third-person in the car too, right? Yeah. Not everyone plays first-person like I do. Um, Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine, which is a good example of an adventure game that does not have a horror theme, but it also has that sort of puzzle-solving right. uh, uh, mechanic that is very important in survival horror. Uh, Planescape Torment, which was a D&D game that uh, got a lot of uh, fans. Um, Quake 3 Arena, if you want that first-person shooter experience. Resident Evil 3 Nemesis came out that year. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, SimCity 3000 came out that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ultima 9 Ascension, the only Ultima game I have never played, uh, came out that year. And uh, the greatest Video game to ever come out on the N64 came out that year, and it is not GoldenEye. <laughs> what What is it, Jonathan? WWF WrestleMania 2000, <laughs> and I am not joking. I, Jonathan, I, I'm sure that you guys know this, but Jonathan might be a little bit excited sometimes about wrestling. WWF WrestleMania 2000 is one of my favorite video games of all time, bar none. I even think it's better than No Mercy, which came out the following year. Strong words. Strong words indeed. I've never played any of those games. <laughs> I'll bring it in. Excellent. And you're going to create your, your own wrestler, and it's going to look like you, because I've already got one that looks like me. I don't- <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure if that's actually a true fact. I'm in chaps and I'm in a shirt in the game. But that's because it's based on a character I played on stage. It's not the way I normally dress. I mean, today's an exception. But... <laughs> anyway, that's an example of the type of games that were coming out the same year that Silent mm-hmm. Hill did. So Silent Hill really was... Very different from yes, all the other... Yes, very different. Mm-hmm. And that's the main reason why I had I, I kind of assembled that list. And that, of course, is just a tiny, tiny sample of all the hundreds of games that came out in 1999. Sure. I mean, gaming industry was a thing by yeah. 1999. Yeah, it turns so, out. I, you know, there were quite a few consoles on the market, and then more were coming out shortly thereafter. I right, mean, right. Because this, remember, this is the PlayStation 1 era. This yeah. is before Xbox. Yeah, because it was only in 
um, 2001, September of 2001, that Silent Hill 2 came out for the PS2. Yeah. And, um, uh, and yeah, yeah, that, that game, that game built up off of the Silent Hill 1 story in a way that was not necessarily connected to the first story. None of the same characters showed up. Uh, aside from some of the some of the villain monsters, mm-hmm. um, but but what what they did with the story is what I really find fascinating about the Silent Hill series, and I think why it has endured as much as it has. Because what they did is um, they took they took this concept of of this town that has been that has been psychically messed around really hard, mm-hmm. and and they extended that so that. Any other any other person who has had dealings with this town, the town feeds off of any any psychic badness going on with them. So damaged characters feed this thing. Damaged characters feed this thing, and and it, it draws them in, and by their presence, they change the town, or they change their own perception of the reality in the town. It's a little bit it's a little bit shaky about how that works. That's interesting. Um, but but no, it's fascinating because it, because it means that that anyone who has had any kind of contact with Silent Hill and then done something completely terrible, like people do, winds up being drawn back into this town and going through their own extremely personal version of hell, mm. and and that that's awful. I don't want that to happen to me, but I sure do want to play a video game about that. that yeah, that is emotionally fascinating. Well, it's a it's a it's a definite interesting take on a story. Right now. There were things that made you angry. <laughs> there were there, there there ended up being things that made me angry in this video game series. Um, uh, ev- eventually, um, a group of Konami employees called Team Silent yes worked it, on the first four games. Right, this was an internal development team working directly underneath Konami. So, Konami is developing and publishing a game that was completely made in-house. Right. It was kind of a pet project, especially after the enormous success of the first game. Um, they, they they had an entire 50 people working on the second one. Um, I think it dropped down to maybe 40 for the for the third and fourth ones. Um, the third and fourth ones were actually developed nearly simultaneously within Konami. Um, Silent Hill 3 was a direct sequel to Silent Hill. Actually, it picked up um, again with uh, Harry Mason's character or his daughter. Actually, spoiler alert. Um, but uh, as Silent Hill Four: The Room was built to be more of a shooter, more of an action-oriented game, with still some of the puzzle aspects and still set with the creepy atmosphere. But it was intended to be more action-packed. Mm. And for me, honestly, that's why it failed. Um, Which is I, interesting because the Resident Evil series took a very similar approach. Like it changed to be a little bit – it got increasingly more action-oriented. But I think it actually managed to find an audience, mm-hmm. like a larger audience that way. Like people who had never thought of playing the other sure. games because the play style didn't appeal to them. But I can see how the the elements that truly defined the series early on by getting away from that could could potentially lose – Fans, right? And it's not. I mean, I you know, I'll admit I'm the kind of person who enjoys Mist, but I'm also the kind of person who enjoys Halo. Yeah. So it's not you know, it's it's not that I was just looking for a puzzle experience and that I was upset that I had to shoot things. So you people who have never uh, played the game Mist, because there may be a few of you youngins out there. Oh dear, I had never even thought of that. Yeah, I'm yeah. getting the aneurysm vein that Jonathan I know. usually gets. It hits me all the time. <laughs> but no, Mist, uh, Mist was a a. Uh, a puzzle game, essentially, but it was done and uh, there was an overarching story that the puzzles all fit into. 
you could argue whether or not the story made any sense or if the narrative was worth the effort of solving these puzzles, <laughs> some of which were seemed to have no sense of logic to them. It was just one of those things where click things until stuff happens. Um, but you know there was there were logical underpinnings to most, if not all, the puzzles. Sometimes that was just uh, just hidden enough from the player to not be obvious. Right. But that was that was a you know, that was all you did in that game was solve puzzles. Yeah. So I was just saying that so that way you could you know, our listeners who are unfamiliar with it but probably know Halo would be able have, to have some kind of frame of reference yeah, there. Exactly. Yes. Thank you, Jonathan. No worries. Um, <laughs> that's the only reason I'm here. <laughs> After after Silent Hill 4 came out, um, they started Konami started uh, uh, shipping the title out to various other studios. Mm-hmm. Um, Climax Studios has worked on it. Um, other stuff, Double Helix, uh, Vatra Games did the most recent one, I think. And uh, uh, so yeah, now these, these these are all American, and uh, I think mm-hmm. Vatra's a Czech company. Actually, okay, so you've got you've got companies that are not. That are trying to preserve the feeling of Silent Hill, but are not necessarily as invested in it as the team that originally developed it. it it's hard. It's hard when it's not your baby to take quite as good care of it, I think. Yeah. Um, it can be a challenge. I mean, I'm sure that 343 Studios has that same oh, sort of absolutely. burden of responsibility uh-huh. to to that, be good stewards of the Halo yeah. franchise. But it's still not it's still not yours and you're going to want to do slightly different things yeah. with it. Yeah. Um you know it's 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 like Willy Wonka wanting to recruit Charlie and not a grown up because he can mold Charlie to do his will. Another excellent documentary. Yes. The first one anyway. <laughs> Starring Gene Wilder. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But but yeah, and and so so they and 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 these people have all loved this series of games. I've read a lot of interviews with all of the creators, and and they are so passionate about it. And I love hearing that, except for the part where I feel like they they took more after Silent Hill for the room. Most of the sequels have been more actiony and um, less puzzly. I, I get a little bit frustrated when I just want to get to the next point in the story, and there are so many things to shoot, and I can't just run away from them. Mm. Um, uh, and and also they they increased the level of violence. Um, partially, it was just a graphics rendering issue. Sure. I think because as graphics have improved, you can you you can really see the knife strokes. And right. wow, you can really see how the bone breaks. <laughs> no, but you can. And yeah. I'm and I'm kind of and I mean I'm not I'm not necessarily squeamish. Some of my favorite horror films are things like Hellraiser. Or Slither. I, I, I love yeah, not, a good... Not known for going easy on the gore. I love a good schlock flick, but that's not necessarily what I'm looking for for Silent Hill. And and like like many nerds, I do get a little bit protective about the media that I consume. Yeah. And know, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say, it, it very much reminds me of how Boris Karloff used to criticize the horror movie industry because he said that the movies he made, he liked to think of them as terror pictures. Like the <laughs> right. idea was that they, they inspire terror, the sense of unease and fear, mm-hmm. whereas horror movies were more about shocking you and grossing you out. Yeah. And it's two different things. It's the same reason why, again, I really like the Japanese horror because it was something that could increase that tension and terror same way that I like some 1970s and early 80s horror movies that were that because of a lack of budget, they had to use other tricks in order to really get you uneasy. Right. And to me, those are really effective. And if you have like a huge budget and it's all about people exploding into about buckets of blood, then how after much a while CG you're like, how many buckets of blood you can fit yeah, in there? After like the third or fourth time, you're like, OK, yeah. you know, it's. I mean, I hate to bring up. I, I love Sam and Raimi's work. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, but oh e- no! But Evil Dead. 
I mean, Evil Dead, you eventually are like, all right, how many times am I going to see them have to try and chop up this, this right. possessed person? Right. You know, before it gets a before, little bit, a little bit old, like, yeah. or just funny. It, it, yeah. it becomes not terrifying. Right. Which is why Evil Dead Two and and then uh, uh, Army of Darkness took a more comedic approach to the material because people were finding a movie that was not intended to be comedic was to be humorous. In fact, extremely yes. funny. Yes. Sorry. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. So no. So, so the style of the game changed. Yeah, the style of the game changed, and um, and and there was uh, the the point at which I really stopped playing Silent Hill was was at the end of Silent Hill: Homecoming. Um, your your final boss fight again. Spoilers everywhere. Apologies, guys. Um, your final boss fight is against this Freudian monstrous representation of your pregnant mother, um, as a spider, and you have to slash her pregnant belly, and she vomits on you. And that wow. that is the point at which I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm I'm basically done with this. Yeah, that's a I'm not okay with this anymore. That's a bit much. And and I and okay, yes, that is horrifying. That is completely horrifying, but it's so horrifying that I don't want to look at it anymore. Yeah, it's not it's no it's longer not fun. It's no longer entertainment or fun. Me. It's just it's just it's just wrong. It's actually unsettling. It's yeah. not fun unsettling. And so and so that's the point at which I kind of gave up on the series. So that's that's kind of my feeling about certain grindhouse horror movies, yeah. right? Where the the grindhouse horror was all about the taking exploitation to the furthest limits to the point where it's just truly uncomfortable to watch it. And yeah. there's, there's there's if you are if you are at all entertained, you then feel a sense of shame. Yeah. for feeling entertained by what's Un- unfolding on the yeah, screen yeah. in front of you. Like some of, if you're some like of, me anyway. Some of Takeshi Miike's films do the same thing for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And um, or actually all of them. That's audition, <laughs> Basically. right? Audition yeah, is Audition is him. Yeah. And and technically the um, the Silent Hill kids have called out um, the author of the original novel of Audition, um, Ryu Murakami, as one of their um, influences. One of their influences, mm-hmm. but but at the same time, I mean, you know, so 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 that's that's all part of that. That's all in there, and I think that the Freudian, the the, the psychological, and I, I keep I do keep using the word Freudian, and that's only because that's all I can really call it. I yeah. mean, it, it's you know, I, I hate to go too Victorian about things or, or right. too too armchair psychology about things, sure. but but it is. I mean, the themes in this game are full of full of doppelgangers and full of. Uh, all of the representations of of things that have come back to haunt you, literally coming back to haunt you, except with knives. Right. And <laughs> coming back to haunt you, except with knives. Reminds me of a girl I used to date. <laughs> That's a different show. <laughs> yeah, it's not tech stuff. But Silent Hill definitely was a very influential game. I mean, we can, we can see its influences in other games that came out, uh, things like a... Even games that got super wacky, like Eternal Darkness. Oh yeah, uh, that was the N sixty four game. That I think was N sixty four, right? Yeah, I think it's N sixty four, where it was the game would 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 mess with you. Would mess with you, like the it game... would it would like it would look like it suddenly turned itself off, right? Or adjust the volume. It would adjust the volume. It would. Yeah. Or you'd walk into a room and everything's upside down. Or you'd walk into a room and suddenly you are one of the monsters. You're not <laughs> you anymore. And the whole idea was that it's it's messing with your sanity, and as your character's sanity decreases, it began to mess with you in a meta way. Right. So that you're like, why is my volume going all the way down? And then you turn the volume. You turn up, your volume up. And then when the volume comes back to normal, it's like ten times as loud because you've been turning the volume on your television up, and it's just been faking that the volume's been going down. Um, but but you could see elements of Silent Hill informing these later 
entries into the survival horror genre, including ones, you know, like I said, the, the definition of survival horror has changed over the years mm-hmm. to the point now where it's kind of just a broad uh, label that sure. we slap on anything that happens to, <laughs> to to fall within the horror genre, right? But but that's not really what the what the genre is is about. I'm I'm going to go ahead and say that that's not that's not what my survival horror genre is about. That's fine, Lauren. You just go ahead and define it, and we're sticking with your definition. <laughs> that's what we do here at Tech Stuff too. We make sweeping generalizations and then we stand by them. <laughs> But no, I mean, even even things like Bioshock, I think you can see the influence of something like Silent Hill. And, sure. Um, just because they're 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 creepy, and yep, yep. and that is that is their point. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I think that gives us a lot of insight into who you are. You like <laughs> you like creepy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get irritated when they change. Yes. Um, yeah. No, I think that's it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's all we needed to know. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, but no, this, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, this. She is our new co-host. Lauren is going to be joining us on this journey that we call Tech Stuff, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, she and I have had multiple extensive conversations <laughs> in the office about just about everything, and it becomes pretty clear that uh, her snarky sense of humor and my snarky sense of humor complement each other really well. So I'm really looking forward to this experience of, of recording podcasts with you. I can't wait to see what else we come up with. I've already got lists of stuff listeners are sending in for, uh, for topics that we should tackle. And uh, and so I don't think we're going to be hurting for topics anytime soon. Excellent. And uh, yeah, so guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, or you just want to say hi to Lauren and welcome her to the Tech Stuff family, I highly recommend you <laughs> let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw and Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.